Okay, I think we will go ahead and get started because it's just a little bit past seven. If she shows up, fine. If not, I don't know what will happen. Um, we are in Daniel 4 uh, today, and I asked, and I apologize, I said, that, do we know where we are at? And the only thing that uh, we are close to, the major emphasis of the letter. But let's begin with a word of prayer, and we will go from there. And if you have any question, please feel free to do so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, good and gracious Father, what a joy to have the comfort of your word that is still our hearts with the knowledge that no matter how things appear on the outside, no matter how wicked the world may be or the prince of darkness is working for our demise, we know the victory is ours even though the battle continues to go. Help us to glean new insights from your book of Daniel, Lord, so that we may see how you ordain all of history to bring about the salvation of your people. And help us, O Lord, to remember our role as we continue to rely on you for wisdom and insight to be a light in this dark world. To that end, O Father, hear us for the sake of Christ our Lord, who is the light of the world. Amen. It is really important to uh, realize the beauty of Daniel, you know, and you know what Daniel means. Daniel is God's judgment. And it's good for us to remember the goodness of God that he is working in every situation in our lives and for our good. And sometimes we don't know how that is working until we are actually right in the midst of the storms. When the storms appear to be the worst, that's when Jesus shines the most. And it's, it seems that way in all of our lives. Because rarely, and we talked about this past Sunday during Bible study, we tend to pray more when things are not going well than when they are going well. And it is evident now, as our nation is in turmoil beyond turmoil, and you know, the world seems to be just losing its complete um, brain-wise, but that, oh, as it may. Um, I think we are on the major emphasis of the letter, and so let me just gonna go through the bullet points, and then we want to look at the scripture section, at the scripture section, specifically um, of uh, Psalm 2, so let me, let me read the major emphasis right on the top of page 2. Uh, a letter by Nebuchadnezzar with material inserted by Daniel that explains the period of the king's insanity. And that will help us to comprehend uh, what is at stake right here. Secondly, God reveals his ultimate power over Babylon and its ruler. And furthermore, God takes action to reform the rulers. And we're going to look at Psalm 2 in detail before we dig into deeply into the portion of the scripture. Because sometimes we lose focus. When things are so bad and so terrible, we ask the question, where is God? But we fail to see 
that God will never forsake us or abandon us. Hebrews 13, 15. He promises, I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. And when the things are really difficult in life, that's what we need to hold to the anchoring hope, the foundation. Uh, Only example in Daniel of God dealing graciously with a Gentile in order to reform him. If you look, if you look, if you study the scriptures, you don't see that as precisely as it is clearly spilled out through the book of Daniel, specifically with the Gentile. It's not that Gentiles don't receive the goodness of God. The book of Acts is about Gentiles. Okay, uh, book of uh, chapter eleven about the jailer and his family. So we have others who had come to the knowledge of that. But in Daniel specifically, and he is a prominent king, uh, the promise that God made to Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 2 is reinforced um, by the dream in Daniel 4 and its fulfillment. There is two different things. In Daniel 2, we have the dream that is, you tell me the dream without me telling you anything. Okay, first he did it with the wise men, and then he did it to Daniel, and Daniel says, well, yeah, God is going to give me the answer, and God gives. In Daniel 4, it's completely the opposite. Tell me the dream. I, I know what the dream is. I'm telling you what it is. You've got to give me the answer, and they aren't able to, and then he goes to Daniel. God provides for his people through government and authorities whom he establishes. And one of the things I was talking to a friend of mine just now that, you know, God put people in authority. I may not like it, but that's not my choice. And I've, I always take comfort in First Samuel chapter 8, when the Israelites um, tell Samuel they want a king. And Samuel is livid, absolutely mad. And God says, why are you mad? They haven't turned away from you. They have turned away from me. And then he said, I'm going to give them a king, but that king is going to rob them with everything. And we see what had happened with that power. And the final point, God's gracious provision for his Old Testament people as they wait, as they await the establishment of his kingdom in Christ. Okay, I'll say that. And the one thing that we need to remember, no matter how difficult life is, um, God is in control. I was talking to my colleague, which you folks have met, Pastor Nathan Meder. He was here and did something for us. And he was saying to me, Brother Nabil, I'm writing four sermons in three days. I need your help to read them through, which I'm doing that right now. And he said, he begins with, it's been a crazy year. I said, yes, Nathan, that's true. But don't you think every year it's crazy in its own way? This is globally, but it's still a crazy year. Show me a year that is not crazy. If it's not globally, it's internally. Home, divorce, death, uh, miscarriages, abortions, you name it, all of these things. So with that in mind, let me read, and I'm going to read the translation. You have that also. We'll read that first, but then I want to concentrate specifically. Actually, let's do verse uh, Psalm 2 before we actually go to the readings of um, the uh, portion that I want you to look at. And why I want to show you this 
Because a lot of time when things are not going well, we tend to think that God has lost control. When things are not going the way we think, we think that they should go, then we think God is out of control. And what happens is we limit who God is. We just make him so small because he's the God in our own image rather than the God of who he really is. And that's where we get into problem. Because we fashion the God we think we want rather than the God who he really is. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? We just make him in our own image rather than he making us in his image. So listen to this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying. Now remember the anointed one is Messiah, Jesus. Okay, Even though the name Jesus is not there, but the anointed one, right? Because you read Isaiah 43, the suffering servant songs, then you have, he has anointed me to preach good news. You read Luke 4, he has anointed me to do these things. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Zion stands for Jerusalem. I will tell her the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. And notice the word son is capitalized. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's reminiscent of, Isaiah, of uh, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. Why do I highlight this? Many of the nations of the world are living to serve evil, the prince of this darkened world. But there is a judgment, and they will have to stand before the king of glory, and they'll have to give an answer to that. And so here he says, they are making all this fuss for naught, because I'm in control, not they. They think they are, but they are not. So that's very helpful for us to remember that as bad and bleak and wicked and evil things are, remember, it was worse at different times in history. You mentioned Jonah earlier, and we will compare that in this study here shortly. And the time of Jonah was of terrible disaster to the time of ours. All right, Daniel 4, 1 through 3. King Nebuchadnezzar to all people nations and languages that dwell in the entire earth. May your prosperity grow great. It seems good to me to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God did with me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. As you read this, you think, wow, this king has really got his head on straight, don't you? I mean, those first three verses, 
you think, wow, really? This guy is giving God to the Most High God that he is from everlasting to everlasting. That's Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And here he is. He is the Most High God, and he does the wonderful things, and his kingdom is an eternal, and his dominion will never come to an end, okay? You can read that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, right? And following, you know, um, he will be called uh, Loving Father and the Mighty Deeds, and his kingdom will know no end. So you can compare these things. Now, the letter is well-structured. It includes the author, King Nebuchadnezzar, the recipients to all the people nation and languages that, w- that dwell in the entire earth. Now, why is he writing to all of these people is paramount here for us to know. His wealth and power of conquering nation spread beyond imagination, almost like the Roman Empire. So it's humongous. And offers a standard greeting, may your prosperity grow great. The letter then introduces what the body of the letter will explain, the signs and the wonders of the Most High God, okay? And it's important to identify the Most High God and the things that he has accomplished and carries out for us, okay? The opening arouses interest to continue reading or hearing the following narrative and learn the reason for Nebuchadnezzar's praise. So why is he doing all of these things? Why does he want others to know? And, of course, then it's inserted with Daniel. So uh, the signs and the wonders is a frequent phrase in the Old Testament and might demonstrate Daniel's influence on Nebuchadnezzar and the king's recognition that God's miraculous action toward him are consistent with his dealings of Israel. And you just study the book of Genesis, you see the great wonders, right? You think of Genesis 22, Genesis 15, Genesis 12, Genesis 18, Genesis 32, Genesis 49, Then you get to Exodus chapters 1 through 12, and those are the 10 plagues, the mighty wonders. Then you get to chapter 13, verse 14, then he has the splitting of the sea and the drowning, or 14, 13, sorry, I said 13, 14, uh, Exodus 14, 13, where they're going to split the sea. And then in 15, they have the dancing of the jubilee. The horse and the rider are buried in the bottom of the sea. So we see the amazing signs and wonders. And look at Joseph. He deciphers dreams, and he says, you got to do these things. The wonders that God go give him a dream that they can have seven years of constant produce, and you better make the booty last you for that duration of the next seven years, right? It's kind of like you ladies canning tomatoes for the winter or whatever you do, okra or whatever. So... For the second time, the truth of the enduring nature of God's kingdom is declared. Nebuchadnezzar will recount just how temporary human kingdoms are, and he will concede that God's kingdom is different from even his own. Before I go any further, think of all of the kingdoms of the past. 
Are any of them still around? Romans, Greeks, Persians, Byzantine, even the Christians, the Turks, Omran, you name it. Show me a kingdom that lasts. Babylonia, Assyria, none. There'll come a time it will come to an end, regardless of how long you're going to be on power. Because humanity comes to an end, and so does kingdom. But not God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is forever. Jesus promised heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Because he will never pass away. And that's the kingdom of God. Because Jesus lives, the kingdom lives. And that's very important. Okay. Any questions before I go further? Ladies online, questions? No. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, let me just follow well, he's with... He's saying in verse 3, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Correct. And his dominion is from generation to generation. So it will continue to go on. Does he really believe that? Well, apparently he does because he's sending this as a memo. So if you were his secretary, he would have said, Catherine, this is what I want you to send out. And you get it on the fax. You get it through the email. Put it on the television. However you're going to get it, get it out there. And so they would have carriers, they will go from one town to the next, and they will hand it to the city, and they would read it, and they will go on to the next. And so that's how they did the carriers. So they had carriers going from one place to the next. There's messengers. Okay. Uh, Let's read the text, 4, 4 through 18, and then we will have the questions and the discussion. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house. I'm not going to give any commentaries on this until we are done. I'll give you the opportunity. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream, and it frightened me. The images upon my bed and the visions of my head alarmed me. So from me was issued a decree to bring before me all of the wise men of Babylon so that they might make known to me the meaning of dream of the dream. Then the magicians, the soothsayers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came, and I told them the dream. However, its meaning they could not make known to me. Afterward, Daniel came before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, like the name of my God, and the spirit of holy gods dwells in him. And I told the dream to him. Belteshazzar, chief magician, because I know that the spirit of holy gods dwells in you, And no mystery is too difficult for you. Look at my dream that I saw and tell me its meaning. Now, when you see the brackets, the square brackets, that's the author's interpretation. It's not in the Hebrew, but it's implied. Okay? So that it helps you, because I don't think the ESV would have that. But if you were to read the Hebrew... The context and the pronouns tell you who there is, okay? I was seeing the visions of my head upon my bed. Behold, the tree was in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its height reached to heaven. And it was visible to the ends of the entire earth. 
Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and food for all uh, was in it. Under its beasts of the field had shade. Under, excuse me, the, pe- the beasts of the field had shade and its branches, the birds of the sky dwelt. And from it, all living creatures fed. I was watching in the vision of my head upon my bed and behold, a watcher who was um, a hold one came down from heaven. A holy one, sorry. It should be a holy one. I think you may have it as a holy on yours, but not on mine. One came down from heaven. He called out loudly, and this is what he said. Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. However, the stump of its root in the earth leave with a band of iron and brass, with the grass of the field, and with the dew from the sky, let it be wet. And with the beast will be its portion among the plants of the earth. Let its heart be changed from that of a human, and let the heart of a beast be given to it. And let seven times pass over it. The decree is an edict of watchers, and the matter is a command of holy ones, so that the living people may know that the Most High rules the human kingdom, and he gives it, it, he gives it to whomever he wishes, and he appoints the lowliest of human over it. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. Now you, Belteshazzar, Tell me the meaning, because none of the wise men of my kingdom are able to make known to me the meaning. But you are able, because the spirit of holy gods is in you. The dream is precise. It's clear and pointed. It's a judgment dream. And so he reveals all of this, even though it's clear, he does not know the meaning of it. Okay, I'll give you an example. If I were to read Persian um, material, the letters are like my mother tongue. I can read it, but I have no clue what it is saying. I, could, I don't understand Persian but they use the same Arabic letters. Only few words would match. Example, God. That's the same in the language of the Arabic, even in the Persian. But the rest of it, I can read it. I have no clue what it is. So even though he sees the vision of the dream with all of its clarity, but he has no concept of what, it's me- what it means, and that's why he is asking, I need help. And notice, uh, it's almost like in the beginning of verse 4, he has, he, he's, I can describe him this way, he's sitting on his uh, couch having potato chips at ease and comfort and maybe having a cold beer or something. Now, whether he was doing that, I don't know, but the image is he's sitting there and says, hey, I'm having no worries at all, and then, wham, then I get this thing, okay? 
And so that's really important to see the clarity of how God spells out that um, event. So, now, here are the questions, and this is where you have to come in to help magnify the story and try to dig deep into it. How does Nebuchadnezzar's apparent ease and prosperity contrast with his reaction to his dream? For somebody who appears to be contented and prosperous and relaxed, he's kind of freaking out. You got it. You got it. I mean, he appears to be calm because he says, I'm at ease, but then this thing is knowing at me. You know, it's kind of like you are sitting there, but you don't talk to anybody, you're not involved with anybody, you're sitting there and your mind is a million miles away from where you are at right now. And so you see this, this thing is knowing at him and he can't get away from it, even though he seems to be at ease in the most comfortable thing, okay? In chapter two, he's fearful, right? Here, he is concerned. He wants to know. He's not terrified because in, the, in chapter 2, he says, if you don't tell me, you're going to go to the furnace. I'm going to kill you. I mean, the rage in that one is paramount. Here, he's at ease, but he is the undercurrent of the storm is brewing on the inside. So that's, that's a big thing. Okay. Um, question two, how does Nebuchadnezzar react differently with this dream, and why do you think? You remember in chapter two, there's another dream. Is, it, is he reacting differently because he knows there is somebody who can interpret it for him? That's a very good uh, way to say it, because he has, uh, because we do know that later on, towards the end, he says, Belteshazzar, I know you can, because what? Because you have the spirit of holy gods. In you. Holy gods, plural. Pay attention to that word, because it's repeated more than once. Um, well, is it because since chapter 2, he has acknowledged, he's seen God um, bring them out of the fur furnace without even smelling like smoke, He's seen the power of God. And so perhaps he's, he's not angry like he was before. Well, you're right on the money, but why isn't he as angry as he was before? That's the key. That is the source of what we're trying to get at. And the reason for that, he is not as fearful in this account as he is in chapter 2. In chapter 2, he is so fearful, he wants the answer now. He's not waiting. And here, he says, here's my dream. Tell me what it is. So he's, give me info. I'm looking for info. I want you, excuse me, I want you to tell me what it is. 
And um, Alicia, Alicia caught on this pretty quickly when she said, because he, he had seen Daniel at work. He's trusting Daniel to come through. And that's a very good insight. Even the idiots, his wise men, for whatever call, or whatever you want to call it, Chaldeans or sorcerer or whatever, they did not the first time come to the rescue. And ironically, he goes to them again. It's going to like, if you always do the same things, you're going to end up with the same result. Well, change it. Okay? You know? And so uh, it is right here. Very helpful for us to grasp this wisdom that even though it is not completely worked out in his mind, he still sees that Daniel has a gift and is able to decipher. And he thinks it's the gift of the gods rather than the true God, because he talks about the holy gods. And we'll talk about that just a little bit. Why is the same outcome with the diviners of Babylon? Why is the same outcome? Why aren't the diviners or the soothsayers or the wise men unable to interpret the dream? They don't have God helping them. That's correct. Because without God's interpretation, they aren't able to see. Remember, he opens the eyes of the blind. I was just doing my devotion yesterday, and Bartimaeus said, Lord, first he says, Lord, have mercy on me. And then Jesus says, what do you want? He said, I want to see. He wanted mercy more than he wanted eyesight. Son of David, have mercy upon me. That is, I need your forgiveness. And then when Jesus listened to him, he says, what do you want me to do? He says, I want to see. He says, okay, you got it. Because only God opens the eyes. Um, I think it is in 2 Samuel where Elisha, I, I, I may have put it down further, but if it isn't, um, we will get to it. Elisha sees all the armies, 180,000 soldiers surrounding the city. And his servant is scared to death. And he says, my Lord, my Lord. And then Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes to see. And when he does all he sees is the angels of God surrounding the city in front of the soldiers. Only God will open the eyes of the blind. Acts chapter 9 is a good study sometimes for all of you. It's the conversion of St. Paul. He had eyes, but he could not see. He knew the Old Testament, but he could not see. He could read it. He could decipher it. He could not see until God blinded him. And then we are told the scales fell off his face. And he, he truly was blind. Well, he is blind. Both 
he was blind spiritually. Only for three days. Yeah. The blindness was only for three days while he was praying and then God removed the scales. But he was trying to kill. Well, he did actually kill Stephen because he gave the order. He, was, he kept the coats in chapter 6 and 7 to kill Stephen, the end of 7 actually. But he was out to destroy anybody who followed the way. He was blind. He could see, but he was blind. Okay, um, yeah, so in order for them to decipher anything, and Rose said that too, it is a God-given thing, you know. I can't see dreams, but I have the word. And so that's what I share, and that's how you see the acts of God and the wonders of God. You see the miracles in the Lord's Supper. You see the miracles in baptism. You see the miracles in absolution. That's what I do. I'm not an interpreter of dreams, but I give you the goods. Okay, question four. What does it show that the demonic are incapable of interpreting the dreams? What does it show that the demonic are incapable of interpreting the dream? That there is one with greater power. Say that again, please. That there is one with greater power. Uh, who is the one? You're correct. Bingo. The triune God reveals the authority to those who can decipher it. Demonic have power. Demons have power. They can do a lot of damage, but they do not have all the power. So there's a big difference. Jesus is everywhere at every moment of life. The devil cannot be doing that. He has evil power, but he doesn't have the ultimate power like the Lord. And is it like we can't understand without the Holy Spirit? Well, of course. Enlightening us. Without the Holy Spirit, Spirit, we have nothing. They have nothing. Yep. Without the Holy Spirit, we really have nothing. And that's why uh, the Holy Spirit is always at work enlightening us. You know, like they, um, Luther does that so well. His, the third article of the creed is one of the great masterpieces of all time. I have been called by the gospel and enlightened by his word. It's the gospel that enlightens me. It's only through the gospel that we are enlightened. I, and and can, I cannot be by my own reason. reason and strength I believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, but by the Holy Gospel has called me, right? And enlightened me and kept me in this one true faith. Only God grants his people surpassing wisdom and deliverance from the bondage to those powers and victory over the devil. Only Jesus can do that. With that, I want you to look at Psalm 50, verse 15. Psalm 50, verse 15. And it's a very important verse. I've used it many times. But it's a very, very important verse. Someone would be kind enough to read it. 
and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Next to it, I have written, God is on call 24-7. I wonder like where you, you got that. that I, wonder, like you. I wonder where you got that one from. Yeah. He says, call upon me in the day of trouble. No matter what day it is, you're not going to say, wait, hold on, push number one or number eight, if you want English one or Arabic two. I hate those things. If you, call the, uh, you call the hospital. If this is an emergency, call 911. Okay, but you would have some dinglings that would need to be told about. <laughs> I know. Okay. Um, I'm going to read this for you. This is from Isaiah. 55, 8 and 9. I, I do want to read that to you also. Um, if you want to go there, that's fine. And this is really important to put in uh, uh, together the image of who this God is and what he does, okay? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay? So we cannot, we cannot comprehend the wisdom of God. We really can't. It's impossible. Neither us created being or the devil and his cohorts. We can't. Uh, we can add another readings to this, and I'll let me make a note of this. I just thought of it right now. Uh, Romans 11. You know what you say about the demons? They do have power. I said that. that but only... Power, Limited power. Only, only the power that God has allowed them to have, right? Correct. You're correct. Um, so, what, what, what did you just say? What, where are we at? We're out of Isaiah now. Where are we? Right. I want you to go to Romans 11. Romans 11. Go towards the end of the chapter. Just scroll. Oh, scroll. I'm scrolling, you guys. Okay. Um, look at verse 33 and following. <coughs> Romans 11, 33 and following. Okay, I'll wait till uh, Saint Michelle has arrived. She's still in Trinity. We need to get her to Rome. She's making notes over here. Eleven, starting with 33. Okay. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Now remember, this is the blind man. Now he sees. This is the former blind man who is able to see the wisdom of God. Even though we do not see everything, we do not know 
everything. We do know that God sees everything. And this is the great comfort for us to realize that our gracious God is working it for our good. I mean, this is, this is the beauty of the scripture, that it can give you comfort in the midst of the storms. What same scenario plays out according to the readings right here? If you look at that uh, readings that I shared with you, God is in control. Uh, in relation to the chapter, God is in control. But what plays out in this one, similar to the previous one? He chooses to reveal. I mean, he, he only reveals what he... You mean God or the, uh, the God, king? God. Yeah, um, oh, that, that is true, but I'm thinking of um, the king himself. Um, what does he do here? He does the same things in chapter 2. He goes to the wise men that he has that can't help him, and yet he still goes to them in the first place. It's kind of like... Huh? Didn't you get it the last time? They don't have the power. And so he does the same things this time. And then when he uh, tells them, because remember what it says up on top here. Um, let's see. Okay. Look at... Six. Six. Then the magician, the soothsayers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came, and I told them the dream. However, its meaning they could not make known to me. And that's exactly what he did in chapter 2. And they still could. So, well, we can't tell you. You've got to tell us the dream. Well, he's telling them the dream now, but they can't give the answer either. There before in chapter 2, I want you to tell me what I dreamt. They couldn't do that. Well, now that he told them, they still can't do it. If I had them in my cabinet, I would fire them all. They're just drinking off the big fatted uh, cream, you know, so to speak. Okay. So you see this. He does the same mistake again. And so he goes to them rather than going to uh, Daniel. Okay. Now, why do you think... Why do you think Nebuchadnezzar calls his own diviners first again? Because he's still trusting in them. Because he still does not believe in the one true God yet. Yeah, it is. You are on target. Um, he still thinks that they are better than these foreign uh, students that he had. He appointed them? Correct. Yeah. The ego thing? The ego thing. Yeah, we mm -hmm. talked about that last time, too. And, um, um, yeah, he has a huge ego. Yeah. You know, I, I've shared this many times before. 
If you want to know the character of a person, give him power. Okay? And I'll tell you this, and I'll speak this from a personal experience, okay? So I do have power as far as I am the vice president of this Senate. And people say to me, well, Pastor, no, you have a lot of power. I said, no, I'm just a servant. I am a servant for the church. I don't have power. Any more than people say, well, you have a direct line to God in prayer. Really? Where did I get that from? Who gave that to me? Well, you are the first vice president. So what? Whoopee-doo. You know? But that's how people... <coughs> Excuse me. That's how people view me. Well, gosh, he's the fourth vice president. Whoa. It doesn't make a difference. I'm a servant of the word, of the mystery. I have been entrusted with these gifts. They're not mine. They've been given to me. All I can do is reveal them rather than use them for my own power. You have never heard me say, God told me to tell Trinity this news. If that happens, you shut the door and take my keys and say, get out of here. I've never done that. I always say, this is what the word of the Lord says. Right? This is why when we're done reading Sunday morning, this is the word of the Lord. And I never put this as the lesson if you notice in the bulletin, it's never the lesson, it's in the reading. Because it's a real account versus a lesson that you're going to pick up three or four or five points. That's so, not. So tonight, there's this book and it's like ancient adventures or something like that. And somebody had given it to us. And I don't like, they, they call it stories. Yeah, I know. I don't like, yeah. It's an account. I, I use the term account or a narrative account or something. I never use the word lesson mm-hmm. because it's a reading. It's a reading from the scripture. Does it have a lesson content in it? Absolutely. But it's not a lesson. You know, a lesson is you're going to learn something. That's true. But the scripture make you wise unto salvation. It's more than a lesson. That's why, like, I go to other churches and I read the Old Testament lesson. And I always try very politely to point out to the pastor, it's not a lesson. You've got to teach them. It's a reading. How long have you been in the Missouri Synod? As a, as a pastor? How, or did a, you start, start attending? What, like, what year? Oh, seven. Well, I met my wife, 75, okay. so for a year. So in the 70s and 80s. Mid-70s. Because um, last, in my last Bible study in Omaha, we talked, because our pastor went to, to, went to St. Louis, and we were talking about, you know, we... 7X, had, you mean? Yes. Yeah, 74. Yes. And do you know what it is? It's when the seminary... In split in split. St. Louis. And they were saying, some people were saying that this isn't all true. Yep. And, and like others, ELCA. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and it was a lot of the, 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 the uh, professors. professors. Yep. And they were going all over the country. Right. And it was like, 
a major thing. It was. It was on national television. Yeah, they closed the seminary. It's called the walkout. If you want to review and read the sad history of our church, people. But but wasn't it the congregations? Yeah. The congregations held said no. You are not going to tell. Yeah. You're not going to say that. that no, is, it is. That is correct. And most of them went to the ELCA, and of course, mm-hmm. that church is gone now, mm-hmm. the other way. But that's beside the point. I, remember, I mean, I was like high school, but I didn't know English well enough then to pay attention to that. I but I've studied since I went to the seminary. Yeah. But I was in a small town. Yeah, you know, but we I, see the residue of yeah. the people who were uh-huh. even till today. Uh-huh. They don't hold on to the scripture and the confessions like we do now, mm-hmm. which is sad. Um, I actually have some questions about that. So remind that after after this, um, after you turn that. But um, about that, about ELCA and okay, let's let's do so that we'll after that. that. Okay, um, now um, he goes to the advisors, but they end up disappointing him again. Correct. Mm-hmm. So finally, okay. Uh, question seven. What two pieces of information does Nebuchadnezzar give about Daniel as a way of introduction? You answered part of that. You mean when he's speaking in the beginning of chapter four? Yeah, you talk about Belteshazzar. Oops, I gave you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, after the name of my God. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing, he gives him the name of one of the gods that he worships, Marduk or Belteshazzar. Okay, Bel. Um, and that's why he calls. Yeah, because when we started the first time, I gave you the handout with all of the names of these different gods. You remember that? So there was the different gods. So the god of Marduk. Um, What's the second thing that he tells about Daniel? The spirit of the holy gods. Right. And the great emphasis in that, he doesn't really talk about the one true God, even though he uses the most high God. But he has not learned his lesson from the previous because Daniel prayed to the one true God. We see a residue of Daniel's emphasis on the king, but it's not complete. It's not complete in the sense that um, he is doing what he is supposed to be doing. Uh, he's talking about all of the, the spirit of the holy gods, which of course are no gods because they're idols, right? The first commandment, if you remember, I think I put that right on the top. Yeah, um, if you look at the handout right at the beginning, first commandment, you shall have no other God before me. What does this mean? We should feel love and trust, emphasis mind, capitalize there in God above all things, right? And so um, when you say the spirits of the gods, you're saying, oh, there's a whole bunch of them. But no, there's only one God. So even though he talks about the spirit, he has a spirit of something, but rather than attribute it to the only true God, to the holy gods. And so he lumps 
the Trinity as one of his many different gods that they worship. Okay? And so that's, that's very helpful for us because even though, again, going back to chapter 2, even though he got the explanation from Daniel, he didn't learn much from him. He still has not gotten that thing completely comprehended or I don't know if that's the right word I would like to use. I would like to use um, not comprehend but believe in. And if you want to know what I mean by this, if you go to 1 Samuel, when Saul was the king, when he would talk to Samuel, he would say, you talk to your God rather than let us speak to our God together. So there's a big difference. And this is why I stress when I teach catechesis, that's catechism, that when we say the creed, why don't we say we believe versus I believe? What, why is that so important that we do uh, not say, um, you know, we believe versus I believe? What's the difference? Because you're speaking it only for yourself. Bingo. You cannot make anyone else believe for you. Faith is a gift from God. I cannot make you believe what I believe. You can spend all the time with me, but you're not going to believe like I believe. Faith is a personal journey because God takes you from where you're at and teaches you according to what is necessary to make you. But the Word of God is efficacious. It will accomplish what it is sent for. It will never come back empty. Edificacious. It it brings... Edifying? No, no, no. Efficacious, meaning... Efficacious. Yeah, it means that it will uh, um, carry out or bring about produce. It will carry out. Let me take you to Isaiah. Let's go back to Isaiah 50. Like I said, performative? Performative. Very good. Let's go to Isaiah uh, 55, and specifically this time, um, verses 10 and 11. And then you will see... Isaiah 55, okay. Um, Isaiah 55 and 11, okay. Are you guys there? All right, here we are. I'll wait till you get there. Isaiah 55, it's okay, it's okay. All right, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, and this is where we, you'll see the efficacy of it, or efficacious, okay. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Notice a couple of things. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. Okay, it's the word of God. 
It's getting out of his mouth, okay? It shall not return to me empty. Once God sends his word, it will carry something. That's the efficacy. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose. There's a purpose why God gives the word. To turn the hearts of people from darkness to light. Okay? And it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So it's very helpful to remember that the word of God speaks volume. You have never heard me say, in my opinion, in this sermon. Okay? Because it has nothing to do with my opinion. It has to do with the reality of the word of the living God. Okay? All right. Questions, comments, or thoughts? And we'll stop right here. It's about 8 o'clock right now. Questions, comments, or thoughts? Actually, I was hoping we get to number 10, but I guess I'll have to share my story next week. <laughs> you better write it down so that you can, don't forget it. Um, so that you don't forget it. Let me see how many questions do we have. Well, we have to look at Genesis. Do you want me to carry it further, or do you want to wait? No, we'll wait. Okay. I'll remember. Okay, good enough. Let's close with a word of prayer. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give thanks and praise to you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the privilege of studying both in person and virtual. We pray your blessings upon all of us as we go our separate ways and continue to comfort us with the sure and certain knowledge that your word will accomplish what you send it. To that end, hear us for the sake of him who is the word of incarnate Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you and God's blessings be with you. We'll talk to you later, folks. God be with you. Take care.